0: From the shore of case twenty-two. Yantos bow and shout. Introduction. People are probed with words. Water is probed with a stick. Pulling out the weeds, looking for the way, is what is is what ordinary applied. Suppose suddenly there leaps out a burnt-tailed tiger. Then what? The case. When Yanto came to Deshan, he straddled the threshold and asked, Is this ordinary or is it holy? Deshan immediately shouted. Yanto bowed. Dongshan later on heard of this and said, Anyone but Yanto would hardly get it. Yanto said, remarked on this remark saying, old Dongshan doesn't know good and bad. At that time I was holding up with one hand and putting down with one hand. verse: Demolishing the oncomer, holding the handle of authority. Tasks have a manner in which they must be carried out. The nation has an inviolable law. When the guest serves reverently, the host becomes haughty. When the ruler dislikes admonition, the ministers flatter. The underlying meaning, Yantar asks Desha, one upholding, one putting down, see the action of mind. See the action of mind. when looking for a con to bring up, I, I try to to listen to what's going on. I try to connect with life as it is. And, and I ask myself a question, what is needed? What do we need to talk about? What do we need to raise in order to keep the practice alive? Where do we get trapped? Universally, where do we get trapped? You know, we get trapped in an individual way, but there is a universal aspect of that too. You know, it's, although it's our own way of doing it, we're all doing it. So I spent a week uh, with the family on the vacation Which was uh, which was great on many levels. Lots of changes, a lot of moving with the flow, a lot of unknowns, and uh, it's a great opportunity for practice. Actually, to to think about how I want this to, how I wanted this to be, and is it matching the way I wanted it to be? Uh, How are the kids responding to that? which it's a lot to learn from. So, we got back yesterday night and the night before that, as we were packing, uh, there was this sense of a somber mood. You know, like, okay, we gotta say goodbye to that and let go of something and go back to something else. And, uh, and our two daughters expressed that in different ways. One said, I love this place, I wish I could stay here, I don't want to go back, I'm not ready to go back. And the other one said, I love this place, but I also love being at home, so it's a win-win situation. And, uh, and it's not that she did not experience the sadness of, of saying goodbye to a vacation. I think we all do to, to some degree. But she also realized, well, I also like being around the house. You know, there are good things that I connect with over there, and it's fine too. It's different, but it's fine. And uh, she did dislike the car ride back, so. <laughs> Uh, it's the transitions that uh, create an issue for her. So and she expressed that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we had to switch around a few times in the car to, uh, to maintain peace. Uh, but, uh, but it was interesting for me uh, to think about that in relation to, to practice, about their comments, in relation to the intensified wave of emotions that we, we all experience when we move through transitions when one phase is ending, or seems to be ending, and the next phase is about to begin. And the wave of emotion can be triggered by transitioning from vacation back to work, saying goodbye to loved ones before heading over to a business trip, transitioning between seasons maybe, the summer is about to end, moving into fall, or any experience that essentially it requires us to let go of something. Now, often there is this lingering sense of, I'm not quite ready for the next phase. I'd like a little bit more time. Either I'd like a little bit more time in this phase, or I need more time to adjust to the next phase. I mean, it's, 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 it's not realistic, but yet we still do it. I could use a little bit more a little bit more time here. There are also times that we become anxious about wanting a phase to end. We can't wait until this ends, and, and our attention is actually vested in the next phase before we get there. Right? And in either way, either case, there is a sense of gain and loss. There is a sense of I want to lose this so I can gain the next phase, or I don't want to lose this because if I lose this, I'm losing something which I want to hold on to. So the gain and loss play in the background and essentially make us feel, or make us feel, essentially create a wave of emotion, a wave of anxiety maybe, clinginess so gain and loss are we truly gaining and losing or is it an untested assumption where does it come from where does gain come from what are we gaining and what are we losing based on our sensations if we examine life based on sensations of course there is because some things are pleasant some things are not pleasant But the senses are limited. We talk about this often. Uh, The Buddha talked about it in the Sutra. Uh, The six animals, the six senses, that what we need to do is create a post, and the post is our practice, and tie all the six animals, the six senses, to the post, so that eventually they become tired and sit by the post. The post is your practice, our practice, which we have to keep attending to. So we are pulled, constantly pulled away from that post. So why does it happen? What are we rejecting in the process? Maybe more importantly, how can we apply the practice which we cultivate? And we do cultivate. Even if you think you're not, even if you think you have not cultivated, you have been cultivating strong practice. But unless you apply it, it remains a potential. So how do we apply it? How do we apply it when we find ourselves reacting to a transition? And we do. I think what we really need to examine here is this point where an ending phase, just that point, that scene, when an ending phase seems to be meeting a beginning phase. It's kind of a threshold that we might say is the culprit of the arising emotions and rigidity we experience in reaction to changes. There has to be, in our minds, there has to be a point in which something is becoming something else, something different. And there is something in us that says, I don't want this to change. I want to move this point further up. At that point, there is a lot for us to examine, a lot for us to learn from, right at that point, at that threshold. As it is gone, right? Yandor shows up at uh, Deshan's monastery. This is where he was just about to enter training or considering training with Teshan he was standing at the threshold one leg in, one leg out and he's asking Teshan about the practice there so it's as if somebody shows up here and he's asking us is this place holy or mundane or ordinary what are you practicing here is it worth it is it going to purify me is it going to give me what I'm missing It's a maybe fair question. Is it ordinary or is it holy? So how would you answer this question if if somebody walks in today and asks you? How do you see your practice? If you say it's holy, then what about all the other things or or other times that you define as ordinary? What about those other moments? What about all the people who do not practice? Do we reject them? Do we define them as non-practitioners? Do we define all the other times that we call work or doing things in between things? Do we define them as not holy, as rejectables? Things we don't need to pay attention to. What makes holy, holy? What makes ordinary, ordinary? We have to watch how we define it. And I think we define it often without even knowing that we're doing so. It's more habitual than volitional. So how do we separate? What about being inside your house versus being outside your house? I mean, you know, we create thresholds in many ways. What about right and wrong? Good and bad. Life and death. Even that, or maybe more so than that. And all the other defined chisel, defined opposites we may have in our minds. This dialogue that happened between Yanto and and Teshan happened as he was just about to enter training. And later on, when Yanto became a great Zen master, he had another dialogue with with one of his students, Rian in which I think he answered his own initial question. You may remember that dialogue. Rian asked, what is the constant fundamental principle? Nyanto said, moving. Rian then said, how is it when moving? And Nyanto answered, you do not see the constant fundamental principle. You do not see the constant fundamental principle. So although reality appears in many ways, many instances, many appearances. It is essentially seamless. It's just the one thing that appears in many ways. Like the mystic peak. The summit of the mystic peak. Where is it? What is it? It's over there. Well, if it's over there, it's not here. Or if it's here, it's not there. Or if this person has it, I don't. Right? You know, we fall into those traps and Awareness can actually keep us away from falling into traps. Just awareness. Attention. We keep going back to just paying attention. Actually, I just just thought about that. On the way back yesterday, we stopped for lunch. And we were sitting outside, and uh, this is a parking lot right there. It's like a street mall. And we're sitting outside, and uh, there was a guy in, in a car. He was doing something, he was looking at directions or something, before they took off. For like, I think, a good five minutes, and the car was running, and we were sitting right there, and he didn't even think of turning the car off, right? So maybe we can be spared of breathing some fumes. And, uh, and it wasn't done maliciously. It was just done out of not being aware. That's all, just not being aware, not paying attention. It, it begins and ends with not paying attention. That's all it takes, just paying attention, moment by moment, looking around, seeing what's around us. What do I have to adjust to? What do I have to work with at that moment? What's going on? That's all, what's going on right now? If I think that way, then I have a chance of seeing and reacting, a chance to assume the shape according to the need and, and the need was to turn off the ignition at that moment. But how do we know what the need is if we are too busy with ourselves? If we look down instead of up? If our focal, if the focal point of our attention is directed at thinking and thinking and thinking. That's where the gaps are. This is not where reality is, it's where the gaps are. It's where the seams are. It's where the thresholds are. So it appears in many ways, reality that is. It's essentially seamless, but when we stop, when we stop flowing with it and try to compare it essentially to itself, It seems, only seems as if there are gaps and thresholds that separate between moments. Definitions only exist in our minds. And when definitions are upheld, thresholds are born. In order for a threshold to be born, we have to define what's here and what's there. What is on the other side of that threshold? So if I am sitting in what is mundane or or ordinary, then I'm looking at what is holy. And I want to enter that because I want to get away from what is ordinary. Or maybe I don't. Maybe I want to stay from what is considered by me holy. Too religious for me. I want nothing to do with it. We hear that a lot. I mean, we may have experienced that in our own practice too. But since we're still here, we got over it. That's good. <laughs> right? Are you laughing because you're still working on it or <laughs> you got over it? Uh, uh, I got over it. You got over it. That's good. Yeah. That's a good answer. <laughs> Well, we chanted this morning, right, Uh, a little while ago, we chanted, all things are expression of emptiness, not born, not destroyed, not stained, not pure, without loss, without gain. So in emptiness there is no form, no sensation, perception, reaction, consciousness. It doesn't have gaps. It's empty. How could it have gaps? Well, it's just one big gap between nothing and nothing be that so if all things are truly just an expression of emptiness where do you place the sin where is your sin we have one we have many actually but I think we have more we have some that are much more prominent and are holding us back than others we have our own version of thresholds of gaps of separation And we have to catch ourselves, that's all we have to do, just catch ourselves. When we start to drift away to thoughts, that's the moment we have to catch ourselves. Because when you drift away to thoughts, you're starting to create the same old, come back. You know, we keep churning and churning and churning the same old pot, and obviously the same chunks come up to the surface. I mean, they're not going to be new chunks up there. And we look at them again. And then we keep staring and they go down to the bottom and then different, same old chunks show up. uh, If we keep churning it, it's not gonna be new. But the attention drifts to that and we are very tempted. So we have to work with that temptation more than anything and come back to justice, come back to not. Indulging in thinking. Although it's very tempting. Because I'm here and tomorrow I'm going to be over there. Because I'm still lamenting last year's vacation. Because I'm dreading tomorrow's work day. Because there is a night between today and tomorrow, right? I mean, it's always there are always excuses to, to think this way and to be this way. Something is ending, something is just about to begin. Something is always ending, something is always just about to begin. Which means we are always in that state of mind, living in that state of being. We are always waiting. It's like we wait for this to stop so we can actually be here for the little bit. My mother is here, still visiting. She's living a couple of days. And she came with us to vacation. And she was quite amazed at how she was able to let go of the stresses of everyday life. And, uh, and on the drive back, she was already starting to think about being at home and being at her job. And, and her body was starting to react to the stresses, to the upcoming stresses. And and I asked her, you know, what is it? What is it that, how did you manage to allow yourself, to give yourself permission to be at ease that week, that last week? And, And why can't you give yourself permission to be at ease when things are challenging? It's not simple. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm just saying we have to raise questions like that because we have to understand that. The at-easement does not come from the location and the circumstances. It comes from us. We are the ones experiencing the at-easeness. The place does not do it to us. But maybe the place and the circumstances make us realize, now I can give myself permission to be at ease. To be at peace. If we can do it there, we can do it here. If we can do it today, we can do it tomorrow. We can do it in all circumstances, essentially. Because it's not about circumstances. It's not about outer conditions. We can be at peace when things are peaceful. We can also be at peace when things are not peaceful. If we can be at peace with not being at peace. If we can be at peace with a recognition that it is not up to us, that we have no control, we have no control, and it's okay. It's okay to have no control. We just have to recognize that it's okay. Same with Aikido practice. The more we let go of trying to control our practice partner, the more we control our practice partner. It's a different kind of control. And it works, it works really well. Maybe it's counterintuitive, but it does work. Those of us who practice know it works. There's a story from the time of the Buddha that also brings up this issue of threshold. In all the times, a non-practitioner held a sparrow in his hand and asked the Buddha, Is this sparrow I'm holding on to dead or alive? The Buddha got up, stood by the threshold, one leg in, one leg out, and answered with the question, Am I about to leave or about to enter? Standing on the threshold, Am I about to leave or about to enter? Do you see the brilliance of this example? So simple and so powerful. This is actually raising waves when there is no wind. This is what we do. We create. We raise questions and we create complications. But for that we have to stop. You see, we stop. We can't stop. But we pretend we stop. I I need some time. I want to stop here at the threshold. I want to examine. I need some time to examine. But you have no time to examine. Because you can't stop. Nothing ever stops. How is it when moving? You do not see the constant fundamental principle. I want to see it. So I try to stop. And when I try to stop, I get whacked by the waves of light. And hurts. So we hold on. Imagine being in a river and you hold on as as hard as you can to some branch or some rock or something, but the the river is so powerful that essentially you're going to get exhausted and it's going to tear you off that. It's going to tear you off that. Bruised. Resistance is futile. And it hurts. So, how do we ride life? Bruised with pains, with aches, or freely? That we can choose. The speed of the river, the water in the river, how far the river banks are, what rocks we're going to encounter, what trees we're going to encounter, what's going to float next to us. All that, we have no choice about. But we can choose to flow. Or not. Right? We can choose to not. And then we deal with consequences. That is also unavoidable. And this is how our thinking mind works. That's exactly what we need to deal with in our practice. The discipline, the discipline that is applied when the temptation to go with thoughts arises and we catch ourselves over and over again, drifting away. At such moments, all that is needed, all that is needed, is to return to that which is undefined. <coughs> we hear it over and over again, and I think sometimes when we hear words over and over again, they seem repetitious. They are not repetitious. They're new. Because they refer to something that is happening moment by moment and is born moment by moment. But then the mind says, well, I've heard this before. Fine, okay, but what do I do with it? What do you? I don't know what you do with it. I don't know what you do with the words you hear, I don't know what you do with what you read. I don't know what you do with your practice. I know what you can do with your practice. I know what I can do with the practice. It was an interesting week of being called to many directions, and I actually bought a bunch of books, which I barely opened because the kids were demanding, obviously, and and <laughs> I made a choice and. My mother too. And I made a choice. Um, I made the choice to, to attend to everybody and to be there for everybody. And actually it was great. It was I wasn't losing. I did not lose time. I did not lose reading. Nothing was lost. Maybe a lot was gained. It was very rich on many levels but I had some expectations that I had to let go of and when I let go of them it was perfectly fine it was very enjoyable what we have to essentially let go of is the shape our shape the shape we think we have who we think we are That's where it gets difficult. We identify with what happens. This is why we don't want to let go. The emotions arise and we believe the emotions and we say, Well, this is what I want. But it's the I. It's the I that is creating that. Not what is. Yes, the arising, when there is sadness, absolutely, there is sad, there's some level of sadness when we say goodbye a place, to a time, to a friend, to a loved one, maybe to a loved one who is dying. It's hard, it's painful, but it's not wrong. There is no question why is it happening. But we raise the question, why is it happening? And we also add to this, to me. Why is it happening to me? I don't want this to happen. We don't know, moment by moment, what is going to happen. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, in the kitchen. My mother was sitting by the counter. We have a a countertop with tall ball stools. And she was sitting there, and I was making some coffee. I was talking to her. You know, saying something and then she didn't answer. I looked back, I looked at her and she actually was out. She had her head down on the counter. She was out. It was quite an amazing experience. I'd never experienced that before so I went over and I touched her and she didn't move. So right away, right away, I switched into action. I picked her up. She was basically as dead. I picked her up. I put her on the floor. I put water on her face, and I picked up her legs. And a few seconds later, she came back. She fainted. And uh, and that those seconds of you know picking her up, and she was actually, like picking up a dead person. It was lifeless. And I don't remember having any thoughts in my mind. I just, there was only action, there was only movement. There was no, oh my God, what is happening? Afterwards, yes, I I thought about it and tried to look at what just happened. So so she woke up and then she uh, helped her go back to the couch, she sat on the couch and it took her a little while to fully come back, and she actually didn't remember anything. We, t- we took her to Mitsuke's wife, who's was a doctor, and she was, graciously, she, she agreed to see her that morning, and everything was fine, and we think it was a result of being exposed to the sun not drinking enough the, the day before that, so maybe she was dehydrated. Maybe a little bit jet-lagged as well, it was a few days after she arrived. But um, she's fine now, but uh, but those moments, those seconds, I thought were very interesting because I did not know at that moment, I did not know what's going to happen. I did not know what is happening, I did not know whether this is it, whether or not she will come back. Things happen, things always happen. And there's no time to pause. We can't just stand by the threshold and say, well, let me sit here for a while, let me stand here for a while and and, and, and muster up the, the courage, the ability, the, the readiness, level of readiness. There's no time. There's no time to react. We have react immediately when something changes we have to change with it and it's gapless one second she was talking the next second she wasn't and it was just one second one long second it is one long second that lasts and lasts and lasts and never ends it's just our reality So how can we compare? How can we draw lines in the sand? How do you know where to draw the line? In a fascicle titled Mountains and and Water, Dorgan wrote, As for water, it is neither strong nor weak, nor is it dry, nor it is wet nor does it move or stay still, nor it is cold or hot, nor does it exist or not exist, nor it is diluted or awakened. When frozen solid, it is harder than diamond, so who can smash it? When melted, it is more yielding than diluted milk, so who can tear it to bits? This being so, We cannot doubt the qualities of the various forms of existence that manifest before our very eyes. For now, he says, for now, just concentrate on learning to recognize through your training the moments when you are able to open your eyes and see the water in the whole universe as the whole universe. And learning through training, learning through training does not refer just to the time where ordinary people, or those in loftier positions, see the water. There is your learning through training, your learning through training, in which the water sees the water. Because the water puts the water into practice in order to realize what the water is. Because of that, Because of that, there will be your thorough investigation of water's expression through words. Did I lose you? There will be your your thorough investigation of the water's expression through words. What the water is. So that investigation will unravel what, what water is, or what you are. In this way, you will manifest the pathway upon which we ourselves meet ourselves until then you must go back and forth on the road of life upon which others are all involved with making a study of other until you leap free so the road of life upon which others all are all involved with making a study of other right which all are creating a gap thresholds between this and that between self and other between yesterday and today and tomorrow, between what I want and what is, gaps upon gaps upon gaps, none of which exists, yet they seem very real. They seem very real. So the analogy of water is used a lot actually in Zen, in Taoism as well. Water is is ready to take on any shape and at the same time it is also free of the shape it takes. In a way, water knows that its essence is free so it has no interest in holding on to a particular shape. It knows without knowing that it is free in essence. So it doesn't hold on to anything. It doesn't grasp. It just moves through appearances willingly based based on changing conditions. So we too are of the same essence. And somehow we lost the way. We have become clingy and attached to appearances. Although they keep changing in front of our eyes. You want to hold on to things. We walked around there in this beach town. There are so many souvenir stalls with so much junk. And everybody is buying them. Doing what with them? Holding on to what? We know we can't hold on, so we make things that give us the illusion of holding on to something. I put it on the shelf. Okay. Then what? Then I feel like I'm still there. Who are you lying to? Why do we need this? So much money we spend on that. and So for what? God. It is so stupid and yet we do it. I want something with a name on it. The name of the town. Okay. You got it. Does it help? No. What does it do? Nothing. Well, no. It does. It does. But it doesn't do what we want it to do. It doesn't. It doesn't have the power to do that. The Buddha said we must know how to be satisfied with things as they are. We must know how to be satisfied. We have to learn how to be satisfied. To be satisfied with each step, with what is. No matter how what is appears. He did not say to be satisfied with going on vacation. He actually kept it blank because. We are unique, we are different. Our experiences are different. Our lives are different. So what you need to be satisfied is what's going on in your life right now. Be okay with that. Nothing is, nothing is lost. Nothing is missing. To know how to be satisfied. Now Buddhism is asking us to to leave home, to be home leavers, to be home free, homeless. What does it mean for us to be homeless? What does it mean? I mean, we're not gonna sell the house and live in the streets. Right? In our case, it means to let go of the comfort, the comfort we derive from the fine. That we, we derive from holding on to things or from the illusion of holding on to things, mainly, na- namely and mainly our thoughts, our concepts, what we think we are, what we don't want to be, what we think the other is, what we think our worth is, our value, whatever it is we quantify, to stop quantifying, to stop comparing, to stop quantifying, stop measuring. Stop raising waves when there is no wind. Stop creating questions. And I think the Buddha's example of standing on the threshold, straddling the threshold, is great because it's showing us where we are stuck. And then he's asking, Am I about to leave or am I about to enter? What's next? Do you know? Can you know? That's why we create all kinds of knick-knacks to, to help us, to help keep the illusion alive, so we can keep deceiving ourselves. And we don't have to do that. So the point, really, the point is, and I'm going to have to end with that, although there's a lot to say, a lot more to say about this corn. Maybe I'll do a second version of that talk. The point is to to take responsibility and to apply the practice wholeheartedly, to not just expect the practice to show up and do it for us, to apply it, to apply it with what is, however what is shows up, and to appreciate justice. Only this, here, here is what I need to be satisfied with. I have everything I need in order to practice, in order to live a full, to lead a full life. Nothing else is needed. Nothing is missing. You know, Deshan shouted immediately, it says in the Quran that Deshan immediately shouted. Right away, he shouted. That's that, the laser beam of, your attention, your focus, your intention, that's what does it. Just this. That's all that's needed. Again and again and again. So the second you catch yourself drifting away, stop. Right then and there, stop. And come back. Come back clean without lamenting, without regretting, without thinking you lost something. You didn't lose anything. Or you may lose something if you think you lost something. Because the second you think you lost something, you're losing life. Because you think you lost something. Because you think something is missing. So being here, being at home, being on vacation, being at work, being at a machine it's all there and it's all complete, all the time.